We're coming tonight to Luke's Gospel and the chapter 23. Luke's Gospel and the chapter 23. And we're going to commence reading at the opening verse of the chapter. Luke 23 and the verse 1. And the whole multitude of them arose and laid him, that is, Jesus Christ laid him unto Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, Thou sayest it. Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. And they were the more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged unto Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad. For he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Then he questioned with him in many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. And Herod with his men of war set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. And the same day Pilate and Herod were made friends together, for before they were at enmity, between themselves. When Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said unto them, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I have examined him before you, have found no fault in this man touching those things whereof ye accuse him. No, nor yet Herod. For I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. For if necessity he must release one unto them at the feast. And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in the city, and for murder was cast into prison. Pilate, therefore willing to release Jesus, spake again to them. But they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, Why, what evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with loud voices, requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed, and Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. 
And he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they had desired. But he delivered Jesus to their will. And as they led him away, they led hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country. And in him they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus. Amen. We trust that the Lord will add his blessing through this reading of his precious word. The Lord Jesus Christ is arrested by the Jewish leaders and eventually brought before Pilate. Pilate was placed in a dreadful dilemma by the Jews in that he did not want to condemn Christ knowing full well he was innocent. On three occasions, John 18 and 19, you will find Pilate used these words, I find no fault in this man. Pilate knew down in the depths of his heart that Jesus Christ was an innocent man. Now when the Jews were laying their accusations before Pilate in this chapter 23, they said the Saviour had stirred up the people in all Jewry as well as in Galilee. That is in verse 5. Now in hearing of Galilee, Pilate saw an opportunity to move the responsibility that he had over to Herod, whose jurisdiction was in Galilee itself. You have that in verse 7. And having then decided, or having seen that Christ is from Galilee, Herod's jurisdiction is Galilee, he then sends the Lord to Herod for judgment. And what follows then from verse 8 through to verse 12 is an encounter between Jesus Christ and Herod. There are many encounters that we find in the New Testament and the Gospels between Christ and individuals, and this is one of them. One of the most instructive of all. Certainly instructive to those that are not converted to Jesus Christ. If you are in the meeting at this moment, not see if there is something, something in this encounter that Herod had with Christ. There is something for you, something for you to ponder and to seriously consider. Now as we think about this encounter with Herod, I want you to note first of all the sentiment of Herod. The meeting which took place between Herod and the Lord was a meeting which Herod himself had desired for a long time. I bring you to verse 8 of the chapter. It says there, when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him off a long season. For a number of years now, Herod had longed for this time when he would actually meet the person of Jesus Christ. Now Herod's longing had been fulfilled. It is to be noted further that Herod was exceeding glad. So glad was he that he had now come into 
the company of Jesus Christ. And this demonstrates, of course, the strong feelings he had because he realized now, I'm going to be truly satisfied with this meeting that I'm having with Jesus Christ. In verse 9, we read of Herod putting many questions to the Lord, hoping for some sort of an answer. So Herod's desire now has been met. He has longed to find Christ, to see Christ, to meet him. He's exceeding glad. There's a great build-up in his heart. No doubt someone came with a message. Jesus Christ is coming. And you could just picture the, the gladness of this man now that Christ is coming into his presence. Now we're not told what questions he put to Christ. We're really left, I suppose, to speculate why there was this great desire in Herod to meet the Son of God. But we know that he had many questions to ask. Now behind this sentiment there was something which was working in the heart of Herod. Something was stirring him up to desire a meeting with Christ. Whatever we might forward in the form of speculation, there are obvious things we may assume were there in his mind. The man was looking for something to satisfy his curiosity or he wanted to gain some benefit from the encounter. Now we know from Luke chapter 8, verse 3, there a number of women are mentioned in those verses in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through to 3, women whom Christ had healed. One of those, one of those women was called Joanna. Joanna was the wife of Cusa, Herod's Steward. So in the palace of Herod, in Herod's palace, in his presence, there was a man called Cusa whose wife had been converted to Christ. She had been healed and she was following the Lord there in Luke chapter 8 along with the other disciples. And the chances are that this man off the court was relating some stories to Herod which his wife was telling him. His wife had been healed. His wife was now a disciple of Christ. She would be telling her husband in the home about what had happened to her. She would have been relating to these, those things. Cusa would have been going to Herod. Herod would have known this. He would be asking him many questions. And the matters which had been reported created an interest he longed to see and to hear for himself. And considering Herod also here, in regard to his conduct to John the Baptist, it is most likely that his conscience was troubling him deeply. Oh yes, he had heard, no doubt, from Cusa, his steward, but what he did to John the Baptist must have troubled him. You see, Herod had put John the Baptist to death unjustly because the daughter of Herodias had pleased him Remember how she had danced before him. And he promised her whatever she would ask, he would give it to her, to half of the kingdom. And then she asked the head of John the Baptist. And we have that story recorded for us in Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, 13, 14. And of course, after the event, after he put him to death, Christ 
began his ministry or began to work in a mighty way. Miracles were performed. And when Herod heard of this, and you'll find that in Mark chapter 6, he thought that John had risen from the dead. He had heard of the great works and his immediate response was, this was the one that I have murdered and he's now come back to life. His conscience, no doubt, was troubling him. I must see this man. I must speak to him. I must see his mighty works. Because we know from the chapter here, he wanted to see some miracle, so he'd bring him in. And Christ will have some sort of a performance in front of him, as he thought. And that will maybe help to relieve my conscience a little. It is a fact that there are many... And they recognize that there is something amiss in their lives from the past. And their minds are brought to think upon God and the fact that they must meet him. Many are like that. The conscience begins to sound like an alarm bell and there is a disturbance in the soul. That happens to people. People have committed some deed in the past. Some sin they've committed. Maybe affected someone else. Maybe destroyed someone else's character for all I know. And then the conscience begins to work. And they begin to change their habits in life. People begin to attend some place of worship to relieve their conscience. Others will want to meet God by keeping his law and so reform their life somewhat. There will definite action be done to do good to others with a thought at the back of the mind. This will be seen by God. I have done wrong in the past, I know it. Well, I'll seek to relieve my conscience. Here is Herod quite possibly wanting to relieve his conscience over the terrible deed. He wants to meet Christ. We think of Ahab. Ahab was rebuked by Elijah for his sin there in 1 Kings chapter 21. Remember how Ahab... He robbed Naboth of his vineyard. He put to death Naboth. And then he took the vineyard. And Elijah came on the scene. And he rebuked Ahab for his sin. And he told Ahab that there was going to be terrible judgment upon him. And upon his house. What do we discover in 1 Kings 21 when Ahab heard those words? Well, 1 Kings 21, 27. It says Ahab went softly and put on sackcloth. There was a change in his behavior. He was coming to God, as it were, to gain some favor. Favor, I'm not going to sin as I did before because he feels the terrible conviction upon him. We think of the rich young ruler coming running to Christ, asking about what good thing he may do to gain eternal life. There was some sort of a stirring in his conscience. He wanted to please God in some way. Then we think of the crowds that followed the Lord Jesus because of the loaves and the fishes over there in John chapter 6. It is so often the case that the minds of individuals are turning to God when they find themselves in a tight corner. Isn't that the case? Some sickness knocks at the door. The trouble comes. Maybe it's family trouble. There's a bereavement. And people then turn their minds to think of God. I can remember on one occasion, on the, one of the flights that we do to Nepal, there were documentaries 
flights are very long and sometimes it's nice to have something to relieve the mind. And there are documentaries on the, on the aeroplane, films, documentaries you can read. And there was one about a young man called Barry Sheen. Now, Barry Sheen was a motorcycle champion many, many years ago. A world champion. And he died of cancer in 2003. And in that documentary it, tell, it told us of his desperation. The desperation he had in his sickness. And he called for a faith healer. Thinking that somehow he's just going to turn a switch on and he'll be healed. That'll be all over. Now that man, Sheen, was not a saved man. An ungodly man who lived a sinful life. But he thought somehow, well... I'll, in my trouble, in my sickness, I'll just turn to God here and I'll just get the whole thing sorted out. And that's the way people do. Their minds are turned to God. In Psalm 107, there are a number of cases there in which men, women, turn to God in their need. Their circumstances spin out of control and what do they do? They then turn to the Lord, we think, of verses 4 and 5 of the psalm. It speaks of those wandering in the wilderness in a solitary way. They find no city to dwell in, hungry, thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. We can come down that psalm, verse 18, 19. Their soul, speaking of fools, their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. And then the verse 23 through 28. They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters. These see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. And the psalm goes on to show how that in that deep they're showing the power and the might of God. And it says then they cry to the Lord in their trouble. You see that's what happens when people get into difficulty. No thought of God. And then all of a sudden, men turn and want to see God perform miracles. That's quite possible what's happening here with her. The sentiment, I want to see, I want to see Christ. I desire to see him. He's exceeding glad when he comes. As the longing and sentiment of Sarah of Herod was strong, so many have the same strong urge to introduce God into their lives, depending on the nature of their difficulties. Are you here tonight without God, without Christ? And there's some trouble in your life. And maybe your mind is being drawn to think of God. The Lord maybe is working in your life and working in your heart and your mind, seeking to draw you to think of Him. Is that your sentiment? It could well be the sentiment of her. But then I want you to consider here the silence of Christ. Over the period of time in which Herod was speaking here to Christ, there were many things that Herod was asking. Many things he wanted to know. In this incident here, the Lord Jesus, I want you to see, remains tight-lipped. 
and leaves Herod in his quandary. All the questions he puts to the Savior are left unanswered. I would just love to know. We don't know, of course, but I would love to know what questions Herod was actually asking Jesus Christ. This demands careful examination. <coughs> it must be made clear, and I must make this abundantly clear, that the Savior would never have ignored any man who earnestly and sincerely came with a question concerning spiritual matters. There were those who opposed our Lord's ministry. We know of them. We know of the Pharisees, the scribes. How that they came on occasions to trip them up with their questions. We think of the Pharisees who came with the coin and asked if it was lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not. The Lord answered them. Many men opposed Christ. And the Lord answered them. Many men asked Christ's questions. And the Lord answered them. But there was something here. I want you to see this. There was something here in this incident which justified the Savior remaining silent because he always acts in accordance with his holy and upright nature. The Lord Jesus remains silent here for a very good reason. The quizzing of Herod was intense. As it says in verse 9 that he questioned Christ with many words. Many words. There was a barrage of questions that this man put to the Savior. One fired after the other. There was a continual flow of things. He wanted to know, can we surmise what such questions may have been? I don't think it would be wrong for us to surmise. Where did the Lord get his power? Where did you get your power how do you perform these miracles? Will you do a miracle in front of me now? Are you the John the Baptist who, rose again, who has risen again from the dead? How is it that you cannot do wonders to set yourself free as you're held captive in my presence? Do you realize that I can just send you back to Pilate? If you don't perform the miracles, it's not beyond the possibility that Herod tried to bargain with Christ here and say, well, if you do a miracle, I let you go free. Because we know that Herod himself had sent the message to Pilate that this man was innocent. Every question that was asked, no answer was forthcoming. That's the most solemn thing. Absolute silence. On the part of Christ. <coughs> there was a matter, you see, which was missing in the heart of Herod. His willingness to listen to the counsel of God with regard to his sin. And that was the thing that was missing. Now, we know that Herod feared John. We, Mark chapter 6, verse 20. Herod feared John and did many things by way of reform. What do the words of that verse say? Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and unholy, and observed him, and when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. 
Now these words tell us that John or that Herod was affected deeply by the preaching of John the Baptist. And he trimmed his behavior to a certain degree. He did many things. But then see, Herod was brought to a real crisis in his life. This crisis was at the time of his birthday, recorded in Mark chapter 6. It was not happy birthday for Herod on that occasion. Oh, he was enjoying himself. He was enjoying the dancing, the wicked dancing of Herodias' daughter, no doubt. But on that occasion, his experience brought him to the point of no return. Because Herod, on that day, silenced the voice of John the Baptist, who had warned him of his sin. He said to Herod, it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Philip was his brother, and he had taken Herodias from Philip, and he said, as living as an adulterer, he says, it's not for thee to have thy brother's wife. And Herod then takes away John the Baptist and no longer will he hear that voice. Now as the Saviour encounters Herod in Luke chapter 23, this matter of silencing the voice of God's messenger cannot be ignored. If Herod wants to hear the Lord speak to him, this sin that Herod has committed, this vile sin of killing God's servant, has to be addressed. It is evident that the matter was not mentioned or confessed because the Lord would have pardoned him if he had asked him to, if he had faced up to it. I believe if Herod had asked Christ for grace and forgiveness for his wicked past, for his adultery, for his killing of John the Baptist, Christ would have forgiven him. He would have forgiven him. For Christ is all merciful. But this was far from his heart. Like the rich young ruler, there was a lacking at a certain point. And we can assume that Herod was skirting around the edges with all sorts of questions which came nowhere near to dealing with his own wickedness. Herod had dodged the sin of his life. Herod had silenced God's spokesman. And God now would remain silent to him. No one, no matter who they are, can expect the Lord to speak to them if they refuse to hear what he has to say. No one. That includes everyone in this meeting. This is a solemn matter which each of us should take to heart. If the Lord speaks to you, if the Lord speaks to me about a particular sin, about any sin, and we ignore the matter. There is nothing more that he can say until we obey. If the God, Lord comes to a Christian and says to that Christian, I want you to do a certain thing. I want you to serve me in some particular way and you refuse to do it. God will not speak to you until you obey him. That's the way God works. 
Now we come to the way of salvation. The Lord has revealed in his word the way of salvation. The salvation has been planned, performed by God. Man is a sinner who has offended a holy God, deserves to be punished eternally. It involves the Lord Jesus Christ taking our sin upon himself to, in order to appease God's wrath. And the Lord Jesus at this juncture in his, in his life is about to give up his life for sin. That very day, Jesus Christ will be taken and nailed to the cross as a substitute for sin. If an individual comes to recognize their sinful condition and then rest in Christ to save them, they will be saved. It's the only salvation which God offers. But if one rejects that salvation, then God has nothing more to say to them. Go, go and search for something else to save, but God will not go with you. This was Herod's folly. There was silence. He wasn't owning up to his sin. He had already destroyed the messenger and the message as he thought. Now he wants Christ to speak to him. Christ speaks through his servants. If they're not heard, Christ has nothing else to say. And if you're rejecting this message, if you're rejecting the gospel, if you're rejecting what Jesus Christ has done, God has nothing more to say to you. That's a very serious business. Very serious thing. If you have rejected the gospel and are rejecting the gospel this night, God has nothing more to say to you until you surrender up your life to him. There, is, there will be silence. You might try and bargain with God. You might say, well, I'll do this or I'll do that. God is not interested in what you're doing or want to do. God is only interested in what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. There's absolute silence until you surrender and give your life up completely to the Lord. The silence of Christ. But I want in the final place this evening to think about the scorning of Herod. You see, the end of this encounter for Herod with the Lord degenerated into awful evil. The Lord, in refusing to respond to the questioning of Herod, faces the taunts and the mockings of men. Dreadful, dreadful verses, dreadful things that are happening here when Christ refuses to play along with Herod. Christ is arrayed in a gorgeous robe so that he can be mocked by those who see him as a mere pretender. He's sent back to Pilate with this robe upon him. He has set it not by the men of war made out to be one of little importance and consequence. He shifted back to Pilate to be regarded as one that men can deal with according to their women fancy. He just becomes the object, such an object that former enemies can unite against him. Pilate, they were at enmity. Pilate and Herod at enmity, one with another. Now they're joined in unity to destroy him. If we consider those things we have just stated, it's easy to see that this is how the Lord is viewed when men reject him. He's of little consequence to the life of men. Many see him as one who is an imposter. This world has no time for Jesus Christ. They can curse him. They can revile him. 
on the television, on the <coughs> radio. You mentioned the name Muhammad, and the heckles get up. They say, oh, you can't say that about Muhammad. And there's a whole outcry. You mentioned the name of Jesus Christ in a blasphemous way, and the thing's regarded as a laugh, as a joke. As one rejected, the world in effect says that he cannot save them or bring them any benefit. He can be knocked at will and made the subject of the jokes of the world. The world unites against the Son of God. All sorts of diverse people unite against the Son of God. It's a strange thing, isn't it? People that are at enmity, the one with the other. You take the, you take the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, and they've rejected the Lord. And yet you take the Muslims and they have no time for Jesus Christ as a saviour and yet on that point they both can come together and reject the Son of God. You take, take to people that you know in life and they're maybe at enmity one another, one another but they will unite together to condemn the Lord Jesus Christ. They will make little of him. It's a strange thing. We're reminded there of the words of, of the words there in Psalm 2 and Verses 1 through to 3. Why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves. And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. There is the world tonight uniting against Jesus Christ. The kings, the great men, they're turning themselves against Jesus Christ. In conclusion, we need to remember that the events of this encounter, Luke 23, make up but a single chapter in the complete story. This is not the end. This is not the final chapter, by the way, in the, this encounter between Christ and her. This is not the final chapter by any means. This is just part of the story. This is part of the narrative because the Lord Jesus went into death but he rose again. And of course, not only did he rise again, but he ascended to the Father's right hand. And that's where he is at this very moment. Jesus Christ is at the Father's right hand. But that's not the end, for Jesus Christ is coming again to this world. And when he comes to this world again, he will call, ultimately, he will call Herod to account for his wickedness. Now, Herod, at, at this very moment in time, is suffering the pains of hell for his folly. But at that great judgment day, Herod will be called to account for his wickedness. We quoted Psalm 2, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing, how the kings of the earth set themselves against the Lord. But then come down to Psalm 2, verses 4 and 5. It says, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. And that's what Herod will experience. And that's what every person without Jesus Christ will experience God will bring them to nothing. And if you're not converted to Christ, let me tell you, as lovingly as I can, this is what is going to happen to you. If you don't turn to Christ in faith and repentance, you are going 
to hear the eternal laugh of the Almighty, and he will vex you in his sore displeasure. And what is the remedy? Herod, alas, did not experience the remedy. Herod rejected Christ, turned his back upon him. No reference to him ever turning to the Lord. But what is the remedy for you? Here you are this evening. Maybe you have acted the part of Herod. Maybe you have mirrored his, his life in what you are doing, what you are thinking, what you are saying. What is the remedy for you? You don't need to end like Herod ended. Well, the remedy is really found again in Psalm 2, verse 12. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. And ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. The good news is this. You do not need to go down the road that Herod went down. But you can come to Christ this very night. Trust in him what he has accomplished for you on the cross. <coughs> Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is there one in this meeting and you have rejected Christ? Well, this very night you can come and receive him as your own. For as many as received him, to them gave he power. To become the sons of God. Even to them. That believe. On his name. Oh God grant. If you are not. As yet. A believer in Christ. God grant. That you will come. This very night. And rest. On Christ. And on Christ. Alone.